Open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 10. We almost finished John chapter 10 last, month, uh, last week, but not quite. We want to do that now. We saw last week in John chapter 10 that the Lord Jesus Christ stated clearly that he gives eternal life. He gives eternal life to those who trust in him. Only God can give life. That's right. And in verse 30 he said, I and the Father are one. Now, here in the temple, Solomon's porch, for the second time, hearing this, the Jews go scrambling to pick up rocks so they can stone him. He's in the temple. It's his house. Now, yes, I know that he said this his father's house. But remember John 1.1? 1, 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he's already said earlier, I and the Father are one, reminding us. This is his house, just like it's his father's house. The Jews had built this house to worship Yahweh. And yet when Yahweh comes in the flesh into his own temple, they try to kill him twice. Reminds us that religion that doesn't bow to the Lord Jesus Christ as God incarnate and as the only head of his church is a murderous religion. Now tonight we pick up the story in verse 39. So let's read verses 39 through 42. Therefore they were seeking again to seize him, and he eluded their grasp. And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was first baptizing, and he was staying there. And many came to him and were saying, while John did no sign, yet everything John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. Hmm. He went beyond the Jordan. You know, he eluded their grasp, first of all, there in the temple. We go right back to chapter 8, verse 20. The reason that he just walked away from them is because his hour had not yet come. And so they couldn't grab him. They, could. they must have been so frustrated by their attempts to arrest him, to, to stone him. But yet every time it comes to nothing, he's able to walk away from them. So he goes beyond the Jordan where John was first baptizing. This is safer country. Getting him away from these Jews in Jerusalem who want to kill him. His time has not yet come. He's not going to tempt the Father. So let's get someplace that's safer for a while. And many came to him there. <laughs> but, I love that. They hear what he says in the temple. The Jews in the temple try to kill him to shut him up. And yet the very people that Jesus has been teaching, now they leave Jerusalem and they go across the Jordan River. It's a good long walk to where he is on the other side of the Jordan River. And they said, everything that John said about this man is true. Now we read that and we say, well, what did John say about the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm glad you asked that question. Go back to chapter 1. 
John chapter 1. Look at verses 25 through 27. The Jews, same crowd that are trying to kill Jesus, they asked John, and they said to him, Why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water. But among you stands one whom you do not know. This one is he who comes after me, of whom I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. John said, the one that's among you, that you don't even recognize yet, is greater than me, he's mightier than me, and he's so much greater than me that I'm not worthy to untie his sandal. Look at verses 32 through 34. John bore witness saying, I have beheld a spirit descending as a dove out of heaven and he abided on him. And I did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, The one upon whom you see the spirit descending and abiding on him, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So John says, I have a measure of the Spirit because what I'm preaching you recognize has come from God. You recognize that God is using me to bring many to repentance. But the one that I'm describing, I've seen the Spirit himself descending on him. And he's the Son of God. Then look at chapter 3. Verses 28, or verse 28. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been set ahead of him. What's the implication? When I identify him, you need to recognize that he is the Christ. Then look at verses 30 through 34. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven, wow, is above all. What he hath seen and heard, of that he bears witness, and no one receives his witness. He who has received his witness has set his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the word of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. What John is saying there is, remember, I'm not worthy to untie his shoes. You think I'm something special, and I am. You think I'm a prophet, and I am. But compared to him, I'm nothing. And he must increase, I must decrease. And as a matter of fact, he has the spirit without measure. I am blessed by God to have his spirit come on me to preach to you. To bring you back to him. But the father has given his son the spirit without measure. He's going to do things that are going to blow your mind. And that's what's been going on. And so they say. Back here in John chapter 10. Everything John said about this man is true. His words are are convincing as ever 
John's not the Messiah, but he said this man is the Messiah. Look at the miracles he's done. John said that he is not, that he must decrease and Jesus must increase. And look at the crowds that are around here. Then we notice down here that it says, Many came to him and were saying, While John did no sign, yet everything John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. While he's there, across the river, he's not taking a vacation. While he's there, across the Jordan, away from Jerusalem, he's still teaching and preaching openly like he's been doing for the last three years. And his words are as convincing as they've ever been. And they recognize these are the words of God. These are the words of one who has the spirit without measure. And they're believing in him there. And maybe he's doing more miracles there. Because remember in John chapter 21 verse 25 it says, And many more things Jesus did that are not written in this book. Whatever it is, it's convincing these big crowds that he is the Messiah. And now tonight, we're going to be uh, looking in chapter 11. While he and the twelve are across the Jordan, something is brewing, which is, like I said earlier in my prayer, one of the maybe the paramount miracle that the Lord Jesus Christ performs other than raising himself from the dead. Now you're very familiar with this chapter and you've read chapter 11 many times. You know all about the resurrection of Lazarus. So I'm going to take it in chunks and tonight I'm not going to speak much about resurrection, what resurrection is. I decided that I want to do that next week. I want to bring a message next week on what is the resurrection and what is resurrection from the dead. But tonight, I want us to see what the Lord Jesus Christ does in the face of his enemies. But more than that, there is one point to everything that I'm about to say tonight. And that one point is this. Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Mary, the adopted son of Joseph, the son of God, is the resurrection and the life. He doesn't just bring resurrection and life. He is the resurrection and the life. So let's begin. Let's read verses 1 through 6 together, please. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus, from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was that Mary, or the Mary, who anointed the Lord with perfume. And wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother, Lazarus, was sick. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he had heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days in the place where he was. So we're introduced to Lazarus and Martha and Mary. 
Actually, we've been introduced to them before. Because remember, John assumes that those who are reading his letter have already read the synoptics. They've already read Matthew, Mark, and Luke. That's why he leaves so much out that Matthew, Mark, and Luke include. Because he doesn't need to include it in his gospel because it's already there. That he's going to focus on who is Jesus Christ. But you remember that in uh, Luke chapter 10, we're told that Jesus and his disciples came to their house. And you remember Martha's all excited about preparing the meal, getting everything right. And Mary's sitting down at Jesus' feet. You're familiar with that story. So we already know them. And we know that they believe that Jesus is the Messiah because of what we've just read. But even more than that, by this time they've become very close friends with the Lord Jesus Christ. Look what it says in verse 5. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Very close friends. And not only that, they've kept in touch. Jesus has left Jerusalem. Uh, and I need to tell you, Bethany, the, little, the town they live in, is two miles from Jerusalem as you're heading toward uh, the Jordan River. Just two miles from Jerusalem. They've kept in touch with the Lord Jesus Christ. When he goes across the Jordan, they know where he is because they need to send a messenger to him. So that sets the background for who these folks are. And we're told there in verse 2 that this is Mary who anointed the Lord with perfume. But wait a minute. John doesn't mention that until chapter 12. So why doesn't he explain what's going on here? Why does he bring that up in chapter 11 when he doesn't even get to it in chapter 12? It's like I said, he knows, he assumes you've already read the synoptic gospels. And so you know who this Mary is. From reading Mark, Matthew and Mark, you know that she's the one who anointed Jesus with perfume. Mm. Verse 3. Notice it says, So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Again, this intimate, close friendship. Christ loves these people. Notice what the sisters don't say. Please come back and heal him. Please pray for him. They don't say anything. They don't tell Jesus anything to do. They don't say like the, the royal official back in chapter 4 whose son was sick and was dying. You remember he was at Jesus at Capernaum in Cana and he said come down and heal my son. You've got to be there. You've got to touch him. You've got to pray over him. You've got to do something. I know you can heal him but come down and heal my son. They don't know. Lord you know what to do. You'll do the right thing. We just want you to know that he who you love is sick. They're utterly trusting that he's going to do the right thing. Mm. But then in verse 4, when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not to end in death. Wait a minute. Lazarus died. You know the story. So why does he say this sickness is not to end in death? 
Because death isn't the end for Lazarus. He doesn't say Lazarus is not going to die. He's saying Lazarus is not going to stay dead. This sickness won't be his end in death. He's sick for a specific purpose. He's sick for a reason. He's sick for the glory of God. Who sent the sickness? Say Satan sent the sickness. Who sent the sickness? God sent the sickness. He works all things according to the counsel of his own will. He has become sick for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified in it. Now the twelve would have assumed when he says this sickness is for the glory of God so the Son of God would be glorified in it that Jesus is going to heal him. Maybe heal him long distance like he did the nobleman's son. Remember, he was 15 miles from where the boy was. Then he said, go home, your son's healed. And the nobleman, the next day as he's going home, meets his servants coming up the hill. They say, your boy's healed. He's well. When did he get, when did the fever leave him? Yesterday, about this hour. Which is the same hour, yesterday, that Jesus said, your son is healed. Mm, yeah. So when Jesus, now Jesus loved, excuse me, I'm I'm losing my place here. Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. We've already mentioned that. Why is that included there? So that we don't misunderstand verse 6. Verse 6 says, so when he heard that he was sick, then he stayed two days in the place where he was. Jesus doesn't stay because he's indifferent Jesus doesn't stay where he is for two days because he doesn't care Jesus stays so that a great and marvelous miracle might take place that will glorify his father and glorify him more than if he healed Lazarus of his sickness now let's read verses 7 through 16 Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. He said these things. And after that, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be saved from his sickness. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was speaking of actual sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad that ought to cause us to be shocked I am glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe but let us go to him therefore Thomas who was called Didymus that is the twin said to his fellow disciples let us also go so that we may die with him Mm. after two days let us go to to Judea again where Bethany is. 
And the disciples say, Lord, that's not a good idea. That's not a good idea at all. And they kept saying that to him. Then in verses 9 through 10, Jesus says this, this interesting little parabolic saying. There's 12 hours in the day. In the Jewish day, there were 12 hours. They broke the day down into 12 hours from dawn until dark. And then you had 12 hours at night. So in the winter, your 12 hours were shorter than the 12 hours were during the summer. Because it's just going to be 12 hours every day. And what Jesus says is, there's only 12 hours in a day. If you're going to get your work done, you have to do it while the light's out. Otherwise, you're going to stumble around. You can't work at night because you can't see at night. Jesus knows that his time is short. It's just going to be in a few weeks before he goes into Jerusalem with this crowd that's believing in him that have come to him from across the river. This crowd is going to be shouting out uh, glory to the God of Israel. They're going to be shouting out glory to the King of Israel. Save us from the Romans. He knows his time is short because the cross is coming quickly. And yet he still has some things he needs to do before the cross. One of those is raise Lazarus from the dead. So he tells them, we only have a little time. So let's go now. That's basically what he's getting at there. And then he says in verses 11 through 14, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I go to awaken him. Sleep. To fall asleep is a Hebraism. It's a Hebrew way of saying death. Remember the Hebrews believed in life after death. And so they believed that when you die, you fall asleep so that you'll wake again. That's the picture. Death is not the end. We're going to awaken again. We'll talk about that some next week. So Jesus says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Once again, he's using a common phrase to describe a spiritual reality. And once again, the people he's talking to miss it. You remember he told the, the Samaritan woman that I am living water. I give living water. And she thought he was talking about real water rather than everlasting life. You remember he told the crowd after he fed the 15,000, he told them, I am the bread of life. And I give eternal life. And they're thinking, well, how can we eat you? And so they left him. And his disciples, when he says, our friend Lazarus sleeps, they're thinking, good, he's sleeping well. He'll recover. He'll rest. And he'll recover. And then Jesus has to very plainly tell them in verse 14, Lazarus is dead. He knows Lazarus is dead. But the only messenger that's come to him is the one that came and said, Lazarus is sick. Keep that in mind. Then in verse 15, he says that thing that puzzles us. I'm glad for your sakes. What do you mean you're glad for their sakes? That I was not there so that you may believe. But they already believe. Let's look at that. I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. What do Mary and Martha and Lazarus himself, what do they want from Jesus right now? 
Well, what, what did they want when they sent the messenger? Let me put it like that. Healing. They wanted a healing. If Jesus had been there, if he had been in Bethany at their house when Lazarus fell, fell sick, what do you think Jesus would have done? He would have healed him. And we wouldn't have the rest of chapter 11. We wouldn't have this fantastic miracle of resurrection that the Lord Jesus Christ himself is going to perform. We would be deprived of that. His disciples would have been deprived of that. Because their faith needs to be strengthened. How much faith did you have in the Lord Jesus Christ when you were saved? You had just enough to get saved. You didn't know much. All you knew was that you were a sinner and you were convinced that Jesus Christ was God's son and he had died on the cross for your sins. That's all you had. But it was a weak faith. We had a tendency to doubt him. And when, things, when he didn't do what we wanted him to do, when he didn't answer our prayers the way we wanted him to answer our prayers, when things didn't go, you, you try to figure out, I remember I had hay fever. I had terrible hay fever attacks when I was first converted. I'd had hay fever all of my life. And in the spring and the fall, my life was miserable. So I'm figured because someone, a Christian, told me, now that you're a Christian, you can have dominion over your hay fever. And I believed them. Because they'd been a Christian a lot longer than I had. I had just turned. I had just been, been converted. So I prayed and I asked the Lord to heal me of hay fever. And I had a miserable hay fever season. It's because my faith was weak. I didn't understand. Listen to Bob's sermon that he preached this morning. Again. Where he talks about faith. Faith in a God who does all things well and a faith that submits to his will. So these disciples have faith. They believe him. I mean, they've left everything and they're following him. But their faith is still so immature. Their faith is still so weak. They have faith in him as long as he's doing miracles. As long as he keeps doing miracles, they're believing him. They trust him. What happens to their faith when he's arrested? Zap. They're gone. When it doesn't pan out the way they expected it to pan out, immediately on the, on the spot, when Jesus doesn't turn all those soldiers who came to arrest him into a puddle of molten flesh, when he's actually arrested and he is weak and powerless in their hands, they think, that shows how strong their faith was it was a weak faith and they ran their faith needs to be strengthened and this is one of the ways the Lord Jesus Christ is going to strengthen their faith for your sakes I'm glad I wasn't there so that you twelve may believe but let's go to him and they give Thomas some credit here in verse 16. I mean, we give him a hard time for not believing the report of Jesus' resurrection. But look at him here. He has faith. He has such a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as the one who will justify him with God, that he says, well, let's just go with him and die with him. Now, he's willing to die now, but when he gets the opportunity in Gethsemane, 
Yeah, his faith needs to be strengthened. His, his faith needs to be matured. Now, read 17 through 32. The story continues. It starts developing. So when Jesus came, that is he came to Bethany, he found that he, Lazarus, had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about 15 stadia away, like I said, two miles. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. The word Jews here is not being used in the technical sense that John normally uses Jews. He's talking now about the common run-of-the-mill Jewish people. Not the spiritual elites, not the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees. But these are just Jewish people, alright? When many of the Jewish people had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Martha is now the head of the household, so you would expect her to be the one that would go meet the Lord Jesus. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die, ever. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, the one who comes into the world. And when she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she, that's Mary, heard it, she, Mary, got up quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. He's outside Bethany. Then the Jews, these common Jewish people, who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, they followed her thinking that she was going to the tomb to cry there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They arrive in Bethany and they find out that Lazarus had been dead four days. This is an important detail. How long did Jesus and the disciples stay across the river? Two days. That means it's been one day for a messenger to get to them. One day for them to get from across the river to Bethany. When did Lazarus die? Right after the messenger left. That's an important detail. Martha goes out. She meets the Lord Jesus. Verse 21. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That is not an accusation. She knows that Jesus couldn't have come any earlier. That her brother had died soon after they sent the messenger to go find Jesus. All she's doing is confessing. Lord... I know you're the Christ. You're the Son of God. If you had been here, you would have healed him. 
If you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's just grief-stricken over her loss. Then she says, but even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And we're tempted to think, what she's saying is, Lord, even now you can raise him from the dead. See, I, I know what you've done in the past. I know about that young man that was a son of a widow in name. His, his mother's only son. And she had nobody to take care of her. And they were taking that young man out of the village of Nain to bury him. And you stopped the procession. And you touched the coffin. And they stood still. And you said to the young man, young man, get up. And you raised him from the dead. And I know about that little girl. That her daddy came to you and said, my daughter is sick. Please come heal my daughter. And on the way to go heal his, his daughter... Servants came to him and said, your daughter's died. Don't bother the teacher anymore. And Jesus said, don't worry. Believe. And he went into the room. He threw all the mourners out because he said, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. Sleeping like Lazarus was sleeping. She, just, she may be dead now, but she's going to wake up real soon. She is just sleeping. And everybody mocked him and snarled at him for being so cold and insensitive. And they drove all the people out of the house. And it was just Jesus, James, Peter, and John, and Mama and Daddy went into the little girl's room. And Jesus stood over this cold corpse and said, Talitha, Gumi, which means little girl, get up. And she got up. And he said something, I, I love this. He said, give her something to eat because she was 12 years old. I mean, 12-year-olds, they're consuming food like crazy. She's hungry. She's been dead. Now she's alive. She's going to be starving. Feed her something. I know. I've heard about that. My brother's dead. You're tempted to think what she's asking for is, Lord, raise him from the dead now. But that's not what she's at. Jesus says verse 23 your brother will rise again and Martha said to him I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day so she's not asking for him to raise Lazarus that day Jesus said to her I am the resurrection and the life he who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Ever. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed. Perfect tense. It means something that happened in the past and is still going on. I have believed in the past and I'm still believing that you are the Christ, the Son of God, the one who comes into the world. And then she goes and calls Mary her sister. You would think that Martha realized, would have realized that Jesus could raise her brother from the dead right then. But Jesus has made it plain, I am the resurrection. Don't you understand, the resurrection that you're anticipating to come in the future, 
the resurrection of the last day. I'm going to be the one who's going to be raising everyone from the dead. Don't you understand that? And if I'm going to be raising them from the dead on the last day, I can raise anyone I want to now. And I have twice. Martha. And she missed it. All she can think of is, yes, Lord, you're the one who's going to raise everybody on the last day. But it doesn't occur to her that if you can do it then, and you've done it twice already, you can do it now. I think the reason that she doesn't ask Jesus to raise her brother is down in verse 39, which we're going to get to in a minute. When she said, Lord, by this time he smells, he stinks, for he's been dead four days. She figures he started decomposing and it's too far gone. Jesus, you can't do that. Uh, now, like I said, we will look at the doctrine of the resurrection next week. So I'm not going to get into the, the nature of the resurrection now. And when Mary comes out, Mary says she falls at his feet. It's typical for Mary. She, I think there's a particular love that Mary has for the Lord Jesus Christ. She truly adores him as the Christ, the Son of the living God. And she said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She says the same thing that Martha said. And she means it exactly the same way. Lord, if only you had been here, I know what you would have done. If you had been here when my brother got sick, you would have healed him. And I'm just grief-stricken that you missed your opportunity and my brother's dead. And then look at Jesus' response. Verses 33 through 38. When Jesus therefore saw her crying and the Jews who came with her also crying, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled, stirred up. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man also from dying? So Jesus again being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus sees Martha crying. He sees Mary crying. And he cries. It says there that he was deeply moved in spirit, and that he was trouble. It got to the pit of his guts. He was... You, you've been there. You've gone to visit relatives who just lost a loved one that you cared for. And they're weeping and soon the tears are coming out of your eyes as well. Because you love them. And because you love them. And it grieves you so much to see them grieved it pulls grief out of you but there's something else here 
It says he was deeply moved in spirit. He was angry. That term, deeply moved, is a word that is used to describe anger or being so stirred up that you're irritated and stern or angry. In Mark chapter 1 verse 43, Jesus heals a leper. And the Bible says he sternly warned him, don't tell anybody what happened to you. How are you going to not tell people who know you're a leper that now you're healed? But he sternly warned him. In other words, it wasn't, now don't tell anybody. It's don't you tell anybody what's happened to you. And in chapter 14 of Mark and verse 5, in the incident where Mary is anointing the Lord Jesus, and he says that she is anointing me for my burial. We're told that all the disciples got upset with her. Why was this precious perfume wasted? It's worth 300 days worth of work. Why was it wasted? It could have been sold in the money given to the poor. It says they were scolding Mary for wasting the perfume. Scolding. They were angry. And right here, Jesus in the pit of his being is angry. He's angry with sin and death that it brings such grief and it brings such heartbreak to those that he loves. And then he hears for the third time now, if you'd been here, he would not have died. Look at verse uh, 37. Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? It could be, it just could be, that the Lord Jesus Christ is getting fed up with all these folks' unbelief in him as the life giver. How many times has he told people that he gives eternal life? Martha, I've just told you that he who believes in me will live even if he dies. I've told you people that just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even though the Son of Man also gives life to whom he wishes. Chapter 5, verse 21. I've told you people, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the death will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Chapter 5, verse 25. And if you've forgotten... I've already raised two people from the dead. So back to our text. So Jesus, again, verse 38, being deeply moved within, grieving and yet angry, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Hmm. A cave with a stone. Just like his tomb is going to be. But Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time he stinks, for he's been dead four days. I told you, remove the stone. Did I not say to you, 
that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. Martha still doesn't believe that Jesus can raise Lazarus from the dead today. So they removed the stone. That apparently convinced them. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, here's this prayer. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I knew that you always hear me. But because of the crowd standing around, I said this out loud. So that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice. A loud voice. Lazarus! Come forth. And the man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him, let him go. Jesus is praying to the Father. And he says to the Father, I know you hear me. But there's a greater purpose for what I'm about to do than just raising a man from the dead. Father, I know that you hear me, but now when I raise him from the dead, would you make sure that they believe that you sent me? That from before the foundation of the world, I have been with you in heaven, and yet I have come down from heaven, and you sent me down to earth. That you sent me to die for these people's sins. That you have sent me as the Lamb of God, as John has said. That you and I are one. That they would believe that they, if they will trust in me exactly the same way that they trust in you, I will give them everlasting life. That's greater than just raising one man from the dead. That they may believe and that they may be raised from their spiritual death to everlasting life. And then he cried out. And Lazarus came forth because the Creator commanded life in a four-day dead corpse. Just like he commanded light to shine in the darkness on the first day of creation. And when the creation hears the creator's voice, the creation obeys and comes forth. God spoke and it was so. D.L. Moody said, if the Lord Jesus Christ did not said, Lazarus come forth, every corpse in that cemetery would have come forth that day. And it's true. And then Jesus says, unbind him. And let him go. I mean, there he is standing there looking like a mummy. And he's standing there. He's wrapped down his arms, across his chest. His legs individually are wrapped. His feet are wrapped. He's all wrapped up like a mummy. He's got a cloth across his face. Just like what they did with Jesus when he was buried. And can't you imagine Martha and Mary when Jesus says, when he walks out of the tomb, first of all. I mean, there's jaws hitting the ground all over the place. And then Jesus says, you going to stand here and look at him all day? Unbind him. Let him go. Can you imagine them running up to him? And the same hands that had wrapped him with those bindings when he was a cold corpse. And they had wrapped him with tears falling down on those wrappings. Now are unwrapping him. And they're laughing. And they're crying for joy. And the same hands are unwrapping the brother that they had wrapped up. 
<laughs> Verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. I guess they did. No man's ever opened the eyes of a man who was born blind. He did. No man has ever raised a four-day dead corpse back to life. But he did. Everything John said about this man is true. And more. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. And in just a few weeks, the people that are here are going to be joining the people across the river. And they're going to be escorting the Lord Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. They're going to be shouting out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of Yahweh, the King of Israel, when they take him in. But today, they're believing in him. They are believing in him. Not just about him, they're believing in him. He is who he says he is. The Father has answered his son's prayer. Now, there's a few lessons for us. First of all, the Lord Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. It's not religion. It's not a system of religion. It's not even a system of doctrine. It's not even believing the Bible that's going to give you the resurrection and the life. The Lord Jesus Christ himself is the resurrection and the life. And we'll talk more about that next week. Secondly, our God may not answer your fervent prayers in the way that you want. And the reason he may not answer your fervent prayers in the way that you want is so that he can glorify himself even greater when he does answer them in the way he chooses and at the time he chooses so that you will rejoice even more over his sovereign power and his loving kindness so that your faith will grow even stronger and will become more mature Martha, Mary, and Lazarus would have been extremely happy and would have glorified God if Jesus had been in Bethany and if Jesus had healed Lazarus when he got sick. But how much more are they glorifying God now that he's been raised from the dead? And it's the same way with us. If the Lord would answer our prayers the way we want him to answer, if we specify, do this, do that, do the other, do it at this time schedule, then we'll appreciate it. But when he says no, and puts us off, and it goes for months and years, and we persist in trusting him, he grows our faith. He grows our faith. He grows our faith. We say, you are the sovereign of the universe. My heart breaks. I want this to happen. I want him to be saved. I want her to be saved. I want their eyes to open. I want my brothers and sisters who have fallen prey to bad teaching to be set free. And they just keep going back to that same place. And they keep coming up with the same junk over and over and over again. Lord, I ask you, I beg you, glorify yourself in setting them free. Glorify yourself in saving this one. And the months and the years go by. And it just gets worse. And then, 
when he does it his way. And he does it in a way that we didn't expect. And he does it in his time. We will glorify him even more because your faith has matured and grown and gotten stronger. And if you haven't settled it yet, know this, that Jesus of Nazareth, who was born in a manger as an infant, who had to have his diaper changed, who grew up, who worked in his father's shop, who worked with his dad, Jesus of Nazareth is God Almighty. Come to earth. He is the eternal God. Become a mortal man for a season. In order to pay with his own life. The sin debt that we owe. That he might justly raise us up from the dead. That he might cleanse us. That he might prepare us and make us fit to be adopted as the children of God. To live with him forever in a resurrection body. And we'll get to that next week. Pray with me please. Oh Lord, there's so much more here. And yet, we can only endure so much at a time. Praise your holy name that you proved you are the resurrection. You are the life by raising these three from the dead. Even one who was, we would expect to have been decomposing by that time. But you raised him from the dead. Oh Father, give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see. Give us the faith of Mary and Martha who said, you do it your way. We trust you that you do the right thing. May we continue to trust you to do the right thing, to do what's best as we wait on you to answer our prayers. And thank you for the reminder that when you do answer, it's going to be so much better than anything we had anticipated. So to you be the glory for who you are. In Christ's name, amen. Stand with me, please. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. And we are dismissed.